This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone and welcome back to the show and today I'm joined with Anne Van Lane Seal who is a chocolate farmer and also a cookbook author so we're talking all things chocolate and some of the benefits and why we should use it instead of as I'm sure Anne will speak about instead of salt and pepper so it's a seasoning for everyday meals just as much as eating it by itself so Anne thanks so much for joining me today. Why thank you. So a lot of people are probably wondering, why chocolate? Did you accidentally spill it on a meal and it turned out to be amazing? Or was there a bit more planning behind it? <laughs> well, I um, I am actually a legal marijuana attorney is my day job. And in 2013, my mother and I bought this farm property and in among the macadamia nuts and Kona coffee and uh, avocados, was a very neglected cacao orchard. Cacao is the the uh, is a chocolate tree, and it. We took four years to rehabilitate it, and after that time, we entered with two other farms here on the Big Island of Hawaii, a, an international grower competition, and. In 2019, we won the Gold Cacao of Distinction Award for the Pacific region. And it sparked my interest in understanding the properties and the subtle flavors in our chocolate better. So you started in marijuana and then moved over into chocolate, which makes me think actually of, is it a chemistry as well because a lot of the time you want to grow it produce it that sort of thing do you carry anything over from that side of things to what you do with chocolate absolutely in fact i talk about that in the book um the cookbook is structured so that there's alternating chapters about information and education and fun facts about growing chocolate and what's special about it and recipes. And in those chapters where I teach people and share my passion for chocolate, uh, there are details about how some of the chemical properties between marijuana are very and chocolate are very similar. It's no surprise that we put marijuana in brownies. So is it that there's health benefits as well? Because like a lot of the people listening to this and likely watching to this, we do like chocolate even from time to time. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping Anne, that we can justify it after the fact. I'm hoping that we can sit there and go, <laughs> why are we eating so much chocolate? Go, oh, it's because of this benefit or antioxidants. So we'll throw some buzzword out that makes other people think, oh, must be true. Yeah, yeah. Is there more to it? Well, and part of the purpose of my book, Savor Your Chocolate, is to have people eat more chocolate without any guilt. What I have done is I've discovered that chocolate has many forms that don't include sugar or milk. And there are two benefits. One is the health benefit that you're eliminating a lot of the fat and calories when you eat unsweetened forms of chocolate, including cacao nibs, cocoa powder, and 100% chocolate. 
adding those things to savory recipes, things we eat three meals a day, means that we can eat more of this very health beneficial food product, chocolate, in breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks without the guilt and feeling bad that we're eating chocolate. It still brings you that decadent flavor that we've come to know and love. And in fact, by removing the sugar and the milk, you taste more of the subtle flavors of this very complex and nuanced uh, plant product. So what do we miss taste-wise? Because chocolate typically, generally tastes most of the same, unless you add things to it. You're saying that if you remove the milk and the sugar, that there are more subtle flavors that will only appear when you do that. Well, what's interesting and it's going on, and I think it's hard to miss, is there's a, a, a global change happening in chocolate. Um, we're coming to awareness of the differences between mass-produced chocolate and artisan chocolates, which are grown mostly in Central and South America. And the United States, Hawaii is the only place with United States grown chocolate commercially. So this awareness had led, has led to a growing passion for people enjoying um, small, local produced and artisanal high quality chocolate. When you're eating those chocolates, even if you're eating them with sugar, you can still taste a lot of range of fla flavor that you don't get when you're eating, say, a Nestle or a Hershey's chocolate bar, which have their place. But what I'm promoting is that we begin to learn about the floral flavors that exist, and there are green or vegetal flavors in chocolate. There are spice notes and woody notes. Um, there are differing opinions, and I don't think we've fully explored chocolate, but there, there's a range from 800 to 1400 compounds that humans can detect in both aroma, which we smell, and taste from our tongue. That's a lot of different flavors and textures and tastes that I'm guessing chocolate has a lot of those. Am I right in saying that? Yes. And an important thing about buying high quality chocolate is that the people that are creating that go through a long process of fermenting, drying, roasting, grinding, and then the steps to make either nibs, cocoa powder, or a chocolate bar follow all of that. A very critical step in developing those complex flavors is the fermentation. And the more someone does this and the more they pay attention to the quality of the fermentation, the more flavor compounds you'll be able to taste. If I'm happy to dig in on the fermentation just for a little moment, Anne, because that's a bit like you're leaving it to set or stew in its own nutrients, so to speak. Is that is that how it is? Am I picturing it right? 
You are. How clever. Yes. Actually, um, chocolate is grown on trees and they, um, they look like this. It's a pod and it's a football shape and they come in a variety of yellows and reds and greens and it, you crack those open and scoop out wet beans. They're, they're about the size of your thumb and they're covered with this lovely, luscious fruit-like substance. Uh, it's white and it is delicious. And that helps the beans ferment because it's full of sugar. You dump pounds and pounds and pounds of these cacao beans into a container and the heat of being in the tropics and the sugars that are in the white fruity substance surrounding the beans interact with natural yeasts in the air. And the, the fermentation, we prefer the fermentation to sit or hit a certain temperature somewhere between 180 and 200 and sometimes above and retain that temperature for a certain amount of time. Time and temperature and fermentation is a very personalized and art-like. Art it's not scientific, although you can measure it. Um, you have to know your beans and your particular harvest and the sugar content to get the optimum fermentation, which will develop more and more complex flavors as with most fermented foods. Just out of curiosity, is this something that takes a long time? And is it a reason why not many people do it? Like, is there a a barrier for this where it takes a while and that's why not many people do it is that the the image that i'm picturing whereby yes it's more expensive the chocolates are high quality but to get to that takes a lot longer than people realize chocolate is a very labor intensive crop and yes you are correct it it does take a lot of time However, some of the best chocolate on the planet is being made on small family farms. Um, the, the reticence to do artisan chocolate really is driven by the high demand. It, um, a lot of the bulk or commodity chocolate comes out of Africa and where they have mass labor forces um, to do all of these steps. Every pod is hand-picked um, and, and hand-cracked and hand-sorted. Uh, the fermentation takes from three to five days, and then the drying, depending on the humidity and the climate, can take from, from five to seven, maybe even nine days. Uh, so it it is, but the harvest is every two weeks or every three weeks year round. And once the beans are dried, they're very stable. So uh, even a small farm can amass enough dried prepared beans to make it profitable. Again, I like to another point I try to make whenever I get the opportunity to teach people about chocolate is that, yes, it is 
available very cheaply in a grocery store to just munch, munch, munch. But if we begin to raise the awareness and improve the conditions for those small farmers by paying the $8 or $10, or I've even seen $22 and $23 for a small chocolate bar, we're supporting those farmers. It doesn't have to be an everyday. It can be a special treat or a gift. And you need to savor your chocolate. You need to place it on your tongue. You need to smell it before you put it in your mouth. You need to think about what am I tasting? Just as we do a high quality wine, um, and the hops in beer are very similar in that they have similar complexity. And of course, marijuana. Wine was actually the thing that I was thinking about is what was drawn to me when you were picturing smells, tastes, letting it sit on your tongue, that sort of thing. Wine was actually what I was thinking of. And it makes me think that is it about valuing it enough to take our time with it as opposed to mass producing it? And can the average person do it or does it take a bit of infrastructure to be able to do this? Ah, I see what you're asking now about the accessibility. Well, first of all, yes, wine and uh, cacao or chocolate have a lot of similarities. Both plants are greatly influenced by their their where they are grown or their terroir, which was a, a word that was coined in the wine industry um, because you know, Bordeaux is only grown in a certain region and champagne is only grown in a certain region. And Kona chocolate is only grown in Kona, Hawaii. So we are beginning, the, the question about, is it something someone can do at home? There, There is an interesting argument that, yes, if a person was very committed, they could get their hands on dried beans. Wet beans in a non-growing region would be next to impossible because of controls on shipping. And if you shipped wet beans to a dry or a cold region, you would probably kill a lot of the wonderful natural things that are picked up in the tropics that cause the kind of fermentation that happens. It can be boosted actually with wine yeast and there are some growers and processors that are, are experimenting with using wine barrels and wine yeast to enhance the, the fermentation of chocolate. So did that answer your question? It did, yeah. And as a bit of a fast forward to the kinds of things that you do with seasoning and things like that, is that where it's a powder or do you use the beans? Have you got grinders like salt and pepper shakers kind of thing is that how you would recommend people consume chocolate where you add it to other meals well when you talk about people wanting to experiment with how they can control what their chocolate looks like and tastes like and to suit their personal preferences luckily there are a lot of new things on the market that are becoming more and more available. Um, cacao nibs is where all forms of edible chocolate begin. Uh, so you can buy on the market 
um, cacao nibs, which are little chunks of the dried fermented bean. When you take those and grind them for, say, five, six, sometimes even seven hours, you get a slurry of the uh, solid bits of the bean and what's in the bean that you don't necessarily know, which is cocoa butter. And that liquidy, kind of chunky, you want it to be as smooth as possible mixture, um, can then you would add sugar and milk if you want milk chocolate, and you can make chocolate from nibs at home. Many people add vanilla and other stabilizers to get the bar, but there are home produced machines if you're really a hobbyist and want to get involved in making your own chocolate from nibs that are bought from uh, processors and commercially online. Now, when you take the nib, and um, I'm proud to say my processor, Ken Melrose, um, who's here on the island with me, and I bought for his laboratory, we very much collaborate, collaborate machines to make cocoa powder. And that process involves taking the nibs and squeezing them and crushing them. And the cocoa butter comes out. And what you're left with is a rich, dark, powdered flavor with just the solids, not the fat. This can be used in a wide range of recipes. People always cite uh, Mexican mole, which does contain chocolate, but it's usually chocolate bars. I know some chili competition uh, home chefs and cooks that uh, love adding cocoa powder to chili because it brings a richness and a depth of flavor. And then the third component that is available um, on the market that I use in my cookbook, Savor Your Chocolate, is unsweetened chocolate. It has no sugar. It is available commercially, but you have to watch the quality of the unsweetened chocolate. And there are more and more high-end chocolate makers that are making 100% chocolate. Um, because a lot of the lower end are very bitter. I actually picture 100% chocolate not tasting all that nice. As someone that's had 85%, I've even stretched to 90%. And as you said, it's very, very bitter. It's very strong. Sometimes you can't really taste it because of the bitterness and it completely put me off being brutally honest is that what you're saying is that you've got to go up with the quality as the percentage goes up as well so that you do, you're not left with the bitterness how can someone look at a chocolate bar and decide whether or not it's tasty even at a high percentage and we're not just instantly put off because we don't like it well you the the answer when you're talking about eating chocolate directly would be look for chocolate that's produced out of Central and South America. The quality of the beans, the quality of the processing, and your likelihood of getting something that you will enjoy even at a higher percentage is much more likely. 
However, I am proposing that we stop eating it always with sugar. Or if you're going to add a bar with sugar and you say you buy an 85% chocolate bar and you find it's too strong for you to eat, go online at konacow.com and check out some of my recipes. Because when you add it to a savory dish, like a salad or a vegetable dish or a meat dish, or even grated on top of um, other any item that you make routinely, chocolate can bring an amazing flavor. And the bitterness subsides when you add it to a dish that includes salt. Um, salt helps block our taste buds sensing the full bitterness. And I write about that in my book as well. Okay, so salt then. Salt's one of the little ingredients that we can add to reduce the bitterness, which would make it more palatable, no doubt. What would you add it to? Is there anything that you maybe think that it wouldn't go, but it did after you tried it, when you did your experimenting? What surprised you about what you can add chocolate to? What surprised, the two things that I discovered in the extensive research I did, and I, when I took a, a deep dive, I am a curious person. I have been my whole life. And when I started getting into researching pairing chocolate with savory flavors. Uh, yes, I experimented with some things. The two patterns that developed was, first of all, cacao is a fermented food and it does pair well with other fermented foods. In fact, on Sunday, I leave for a two-week trip to Japan to research my second book, which is called Savor Umami Chocolate, because chocolate also enhances and pairs beautifully and has a lot of umami when you remove the sugar. And so I'm going to explore that in depth in my next book. However, the things that were fun to explore and were, were always a delight to share with my taste testers, friends, family, neighbors, anybody I could get, is that it, it also pairs beautifully with a lot of foods we eat every day, like carrots and chocolate and soy sauce and chocolate. I do a very simple steak sauce that also goes beautifully on roasted vegetables and chicken and pork that is soy sauce, butter, chocolate, and miso paste, and then add water to get it to the consistency that you prefer. There's a quick recipe that can introduce people very gently. And as I said earlier, the forms of chocolate can differ. You can use cocoa powder in that recipe. You can use unsweetened chocolate. I'll even let get away with using the dark chocolate that you find too strong to eat out of hand. Yeah. <laughs> so is it about experimenting then? Is it about personal taste, figuring out how much of it to add to your meals and maybe not going too far because it might be a bit overpowering? Is it about that, finding what your own palate tastes like? Well, my cookbook does a lot of teaching about exactly what kinds of 
vegetables, meats, nuts, seeds, grains, legumes pair with chocolate. And as you hinted to earlier, there are a few duds. There are some things that I came across that just kind of went, yeah, I think I'm stretching the boundaries <laughs> too far. Um, in my book, there's a very clear table and there are multiple tables that will teach you specifically um, in the salad section. There's a table that says these things go really well. And it gives you an extensive list of foods that you can experiment with adding uh, chocolate to a recipe that uses that dish. Um, and then later on in the book, I have a full color table that talks about the flavors that exist in chocolate that are very subtle and some of them not so subtle and a long take a list of the flavor components in other foods pairing foods is really simple you want to find some commonality and some differences just like in human relationships, we like to have something in common with our close friends and family members, but we also like to have some differences to keep it interesting. Is there anything that you've stopped eating when you're eating chocolate because you thought it would be amazing and it wasn't? You know, it's funny. I was so busy documenting all of the things that do taste good. I was searching my brain when you first asked this question for anything that I can recall that I kind of went, yeah, not so much. Um, there were a couple of varieties of seafood that it didn't it it didn't really do much for. And there were a few vegetables. And I promised to post those on my website. I know I can go back in my notes. Um, I, I took every science class I could when I was a kid and I love science. And so I kept extensive laboratory notes and I have a picture of my laboratory on, um, in the book and the book is a light read. There's, it's not a heavy tome of a cookbook and the, the, there are a lot of photographs of harvesting and processing and, uh, local farmers that grow things that I use in my recipes. Um, uh, there are, you know, it's just an interesting topic and the most loved food in the world. And everybody, whether they love it or they don't, um, wants to hear about this fascinating plant and how it's grown in beautiful, lush, tropical places. You mentioned a lot of tastes and flavors and smells and we did mention things like wine tasting and things before did you have did you ever dive into that world like learn how to taste wine before you could picture and really break down the different tastes of chocolate have you ever done that well the we were fortunate when we did enter this chocolate competition we received uh, a 13 page report from an expert panel of judges um, with a substantial amount of both uh, chemical and subjective feedback about our chocolate. And again, reading that report made me wonder um, how different is my chocolate from other chocolates and what is it about chocolate 
that drives this insatiable desire. You know, there are words like chocoholic, which isn't, you know, which is not a negative thing and chocolate lovers and it's everywhere. In fact, you know, there are times when I get tired of it. I love chocolate and I do eat it routinely and I, I, I enjoy the differences of how it can be eaten. Um, and I, I rarely say no to chocolate, but um, there is a, a set of, and I have included a flavor wheel in my cookbook that starts with you know some of the more general categories of flavors and branches out to subsets of those that can be found in any chocolate um, and in varying degrees. And so that is available online. If you look for a a judging wheel or flavor wheel or flavor analysis for chocolate, um, there are even some very clever people online uh, that have chocolate tasting kits. The first time I experienced um, tasting chocolate in the same way that I had tasted wines. Um, and I, I had the uh, fortune to go to Scotland and taste scotch uh, at tours and in distilleries. Um, and the first time was at the Hershey Chocolate Company in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And when I lived on the East Coast uh, during the uh, during the Obama administration as a lawyer there, I did go up there to Hershey and took a chocolate tasting class. And they had prepared a, sort of a, an experience of like a wine tasting or a scotch tasting or any other kind of tasting where they prompted you to think about some of those uh, fruity flavors and berry flavors and nut flavors and spice flavors. How can someone get involved with this? If someone wanted to really savor their chocolate, really get into the habit of tasting it fully, anything that springs to mind, anything that you would give someone as a a starter task or challenge or any prompts that you can give someone that wants to start this? I am so glad you asked that question because yes, and I have done this myself and I have provided friends as a gift with a kit to do a chocolate tasting. So anyone can go to their grocery store or several grocery stores or look online and buy five, and that's what I recommend, different chocolate bars of all the same percentage is what I recommend. So pick a percentage, 55% cacao or 85% cacao, you choose and stick to that for all five chocolates. Next, you can look on the back and most chocolate bars will tell you where they were grown. If it's possible, pick one country and find chocolates all from that country and then go online and it's very easy to find chocolate flavor profiles or chocolate tasting notes and there are online a lot of 
of similar to mine, the flavor wheels that will tell you the different components. And you can make a little piece of paper for each of your people and do a blind tasting where you say A, B, C, D, E, and label the little samples that with that, just on a plate with a little card written, handwritten that this is chocolate A, and let them taste that and write out or select with your prompting um, some of the flavors that they're tasting um, from the list that you provide or the flavor wheel that you show them and see how it's so much fun to see or compare. If you don't want to go that formal, just talk it through. You don't have to do a piece of paper. You can just have people say, well, mm, I smell. And smelling is an important first step. The snap in the chocolate is another sign of its quality and care and production. The smell, the taste, leave it sit on your tongue and melt for a little bit before you inhale through your nose and taste and smell those subtle flavors and think about, don't just chomp, chomp, chomp when you're doing a tasting. What did you come up with when you did this? What percentages did you stick to? How did you organize it? And what did you find? Well, I've done more formal and I've done the casual over wine and, and cheese, which, you know, chocolate, if you want a starter food to pair with chocolate, chocolate and cheese are best buddies because of the creamy element. Um, but uh, I found that there were, depending on the region, so again, if I'm focusing on Ecuador, which is one of the most famous and claims to be the original chocolate growing and producing um, country, uh, they uh, their chocolate leans into the more dried fruits. So uh, it, it's got a richer fruity note. Um, the producers that I've talked to down in Ecuador, um, when I was there, uh, talk about the spice in theirs, which we're not talking chili pepper spice. We're talking like nutmeg and vanilla flavors. Um, those kinds of flavors and aromas are, are dominant in, um, uh, South American chocolate, uh, woody uh, you know, there's a kind of a, an earthy, richy, a rich kind of aroma and flavor that is there. And then some of them have kind of a grassy note or a green kind of scent or flavor. Is that enough of an example of the exciting things that when I challenged people and I did do um, some tastings with some wine, some people I know that are very versed in wine tasting. And they immediately noted the similarities in the, the process and detecting the flavor uh, compounds. What's the limit of chocolate tasting? Is there anything that's a very, very specific taste that You've got to get to a certain place, a certain percentage, a certain kind of chocolate is one of the only ones that can achieve that flavor. Is there anything like that? I know it's quite a difficult question, Anne, but is there any? 
It's not a difficult question because I was fortunate. In 2019, um, I traveled to Paris to attend the Salon de Chocolat, <clears throat> which is the award ceremony where uh, it was the, it's a huge chocolate conference that happens in Paris every two years. And the Salon de Chocolat um, is uh, also the Cacao of Excellence, um, which is run by a Biodiversity International. And they focus on the beans, um, whereas the Salon de Chocolat is just a free-for-all of tasting chocolates. <clears throat> I traveled with a friend of mine, and the first night they have an opening for night for um, VIPs and people attending and, and people that are participating. And we had just gotten in and we participated and we ate so much chocolate. We couldn't sleep because of the caffeine. <laughs> it was fun and it was delicious. And, and we paid a little price. So we played cards all night. But it was an eye-opening experience. Um, I was just beginning my journey and exploring and understanding the depth and breadth of what chocolate can bring to the hum the to our cuisine on every level. But circling back to your question, um, the the judges um, had an unbelievable. Um, range of comments. I was fortunate um, to be able to read the tasting notes on some of the other contestants. And we didn't know at this time that we had won the award. I was just curious. And you talk to different growers and they will talk about, yes, our chocolate leans into berry and um, cardamom flavors, floral flavors, grassy notes, and with not much of the, the roasty flavor, we back off on the roasting temperatures to control the roasty flavor so that these more um, natural uh, herbal notes come forward. And that's the beauty of this kind of chocolate revolution that's happening right now globally is um, we're becoming aware of uh, we we are not tasting the full range. And to do that, the lower the sugar and no milk. So milk chocolate, you're going to taste, a, have a very flattened tasting experience. You're not going to taste the magic of this bean. Um, the less sugar and the less um, the less additives, uh, you know, the beauty of Hawaiian chocolate and specifically Kona chocolate is that we're at the farthest north region of where you can grow cacao. There's a band around the globe of uh, latitude and between there you can grow chocolate. Um, and because we're pushing the limits at the northern latitude, the beans put on more fat to keep themselves warm. And so there's a higher cocoa butter percentage. And the beauty of Kona chocolate is you, you don't have to add as much other ingredients to get that melting quality and the creamy smoothness to the chocolate and so you taste more of the the true chocolate flavors. The reason that a lot of people add cocoa powder to cakes and cookies and uh, brownies is that it 
enhances, it's the purest form cocoa powder of chocolate because there's nothing but the cacao solids. The powder is just ground chocolate. I know that was a little meandering, but I hope that I covered some interesting uh, insights into chocolate. I that know what it would be. So, you know, when you get to those limits and you do push it and you go through the, the bitterness that we've talked about and the fruity and the woody flavors, is there anything at the top end of it? Like, is it woody? Is it fruity? Like what's right at the, the end? Yeah, there are. It's an excellent question. Um, I have um, sort of outlined the more uh, difficult to taste and hard to find in chocolate flavors. And those uh, lean into um, some some they, there's even there's even some chocolate that will have kind of a, a whiskey or a bourbon smoky flavor. Smoky is very elusive in chocolate. Um, there is, there are some chocolates that have an apricot note or a honey note. And those are a little elusive for those chocolate devotees. Those are some goals to chase is, uh, you know, the, chase those flavors. See if you can find chocolates with those flavors. But another thing that came out of talking with people globally about their chocolate and chocolate that they're tasting and the way that they're using chocolate um, and trying to push the envelope. Uh, the judge uh, that presented our award actually has a documentary out. His name is Hironobu, and I'm not going to attempt his last name, but it's, <laughs> it's on my book and it's online. He's famous for a documentary that was made about him. He is Japan's premier chocolatier and patisserie, uh, patisserie chef. And I believe I'm going to get to spend some time with him when I travel to Japan. Um, what he talks about um, in his documentary, which is called Le Chocolat de H, uh, is that there are ways that you can manipulate in your production of making chocolates and enhance those more subtle things. So it's exciting. And as with legal marijuana and the dialogue that's surrounding legal marijuana, we're beginning to understand that a lot of subtleties and nuances can be enhanced in the way that we're producing and processing chocolate. We're able to uh, ferment longer or ferment, as I mentioned, with a, an, a yeast enhancer or in a barrel. And we're just beginning this as um, chocolate is entering into a, a, a greater period, a sort of a renaissance period. Um, I have a patent pending, um, which could revolutionize the way that we're processing chocolate. It's a very simple um, soaking in a liquid uh, water with some uh, natural things that remove a lot of the bitterness and the acidity. Um, my patent attorney compared it to uh, the 1828 discovery of Dutch processed cocoa powder. Um, and so 
Uh, I'm trying to carry on that legacy. I'm Belgian. Uh, we love chocolate. In fact, they're a little factoid for you that's in the book. Uh, the Belgian airport is the highest seller of chocolate on the planet. Wow. The highest <laughs> seller on the planet. And this has been fascinating. There's been so many different um, things that we've been speaking about. It's all fascinating. Very, very interested in having a second round hopefully we can go a bit deep into some of the the other aspects of chocolate but and this has been fantastic i would love to point the listeners in your direction so here's your chance to share the book websites social media how can people enter your world a bit more well, the most exciting and pressing thing is I am leaving on Sunday for Japan, and I am there exploring uh, chocolate in Japan and their their new burgeoning market. So follow me on Instagram at, at Kona, K-O-N-A, cow, C-A-O. Uh, Savor Your Chocolate is available on Amazon. It's Savor Your Chocolate. Um, you can also get some information on my website, which is KonaCow.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Those that are listening, feel free to subscribe, share the show, tell others, and also leave a review wherever you are listening in to your podcasts. And thanks so much for being a guest. Really enjoyed having you on. I look forward to keeping in touch. Thanks so much. Have a, have a great day and enjoy more chocolate.